You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Glad to have everybody that's here in the building with us. Glad to have those of you tuning in from home. And uh, for those of you that have been with us over the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been, um, after coming out of the Gospel of John, we took a, um, a hiatus from jumping right into another book and going verse by verse. Instead, we've been looking at a series uh, that, that deals with what it means for us to be made in the image of God. And so we've looked at that over the last two weeks. We're going to wrap that up today and, and try to bring all of it together um, so that we have some real clear direction about what this means for us moving forward uh, as individuals, as a church family. Um, how do we apply some of the things that we've been learning? And so um, we started by seeing the fact that uh, being created in the image of God means we are made like God in order to represent God which ultimately means the worth and purpose of every human life is defined by God for God. So we don't get to define the, the value of human being as humans. God's done that for us, right? He's created us in his image. Um, he has given us value. He's given us purpose. He has distributed that to every single human being here on this earth, right? Um, and we talked about what it meant to be made in the image of God, that it's not necessarily tied to one specific aspect of what it means to be human. Instead, it's every aspect that a human is like God. That's what it means to be made in his image. And so we talked about uh, having a proper understanding of our place in this world, our purpose in this world, uh, those things being defined by God that we are meant to reflect him uh, in in this world. We're meant to be like him uh, in this world. And then last week we saw how sin affects our ability to do that, right? That um, we're created in the image of God way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, but due to their sinful choice, it has now marred or distorted the image of God in every single one of us. You read in the book of Genesis, when Adam starts to have offspring, Moses is very clear in his writing that Adam produced individuals after his own likeness, that um, uh, Seth and uh, Cain and Abel, they were, they were produced in the likeness of their father, Adam, right? They still bear the image of God, but it's that distorted image because of sin. And so uh, we talked about um, sin affecting us, um, but that through salvation, we're being renewed and called to recover more and more of his image in us as we learn to live our lives in conformity to Christ's image. So what we're saying is, is that God creates us in his image. We mess it up. We sin. We distort that image. We're like a cracked mirror that's supposed to reflect him, but we don't reflect him as well as we uh, were originally created to do. Salvation is now the process of fixing that, where we are becoming more and more like Christ, who is that perfect image bearer because he is in the image of God. Not created in the image of God like we are, but he is the image of God, right? And so last week we saw that even though sin enters into the world, uh, every human being still bears the image of God. The, The common individual, James talks about not showing partiality to those who have more money or more resources, that they are not more valuable human beings than the poor individual, Right, that even the common person bears the image of God. Uh, we talked about being um, aware that the image of God is seen in those who are different than us, particularly those who hail from other cultures or other countries or, or other areas of the world, that um, even though we may look physically different with some of our attributes, that we are still bearing the image of God together. And um, God was very clear with the Israelites that they weren't to show uh, any type of discrimination or partiality towards uh, foreigners outside of their um, people group, um, that they were to uh, instead show an attitude of service and an attitude of love. We see Jesus uh, tearing down um, discriminatory type barriers where uh, the Israelite people were kind of adamantly against those who were from Samaria, these Jewish people who had intermarried with other nations, other cultures, and Honestly, the Jewish people just wanted nothing to do with them. They would go out of their way to bypass walking through their town, even though it would have been more of a direct shot to where they were going. They would bypass it. They would take the long route to avoid these people, right? Jesus goes into the heart of the country, um, the heart of Samaria, and and reaches into the the heart of the woman at the well and, and sees her become a Christian. And then she goes into the town and draws others to Jesus who become Christians as well, right? Um, so Jesus models to us that those who were different from us are image bearers of God. Those who are broken, those who are physically disabled, those who are sick. Uh, Matthew 4, 24 talks about how these individuals were brought to Jesus and he showed great love and care in healing those individuals. Uh, We talked about those who were sinful uh, still uh, still being image bearers of God. In Acts chapter 17, um, Paul talks about how 
um, the people still bear the image of God, even though they're not God-fearers, they're not God-followers, they still bear the image of God. And so um, all those things help us to see uh, those people that we come in contact with throughout the week bear the image of God. They're valuable. They deserve our respect. They deserve our love. They deserve our attention and care um, because God has given them that value, all right? Um, So last week, we talked about pursuing uh, imaging well in our own life, that we want to reflect God in the things that we do well. Um, But then we also talked about uh, how we want to push others to image him well, too. And we're going to continue talking about that today um, as we get into our sermon. All right, so let's look at part three this week, our summary sentence uh, for this week. God's plan has always been to repair his broken image in humanity by doing everything necessary to conform us to his son's image, leading to immediate effects in how we love each other now and eternal effects when he returns. God's plan has always been to repair his broken image in humanity by doing everything necessary to conform us to his son's image, leading to immediate effects in how we love each other now and eternal effects when he returns, right? So we mess it all up. We break... uh, We break the image of God in some ways through our sin, but God has always planned to come in and fix that, and he will eternally do that when Jesus comes back. But even in the immediate, on a daily basis, we are being renewed in that image. We are becoming more and more like Christ on a daily basis through that sanctification process. And that exhibits itself in the ways that we treat each other, the ways that we love each other. Um, So the more sanctified we become, the more holy we become, it ought to translate into to how we are loving each other and treating each other around us, okay? Um, for our kids, God fixes us so we can be more like him in the ways that we love others. I'll leave that up there for a little bit for you to copy down if you want to. Um, just by way of review over the things that we've talked about the past couple of weeks, again, uh, we're saying that image bearers express God on earth. We are to resemble him in everything we say and do. We have inherent worth which affects the way that we treat others, the way that we see others, the respect and the dignity that we give to each other. Um, And that each image bearer possesses a unique gift or talent or ability that when we use it in obedience can be done for God's glory. So every single human being has a unique aspect about them that allows them to image God and and to um, use those gifts and abilities to bring glory and honor to him. And so One of the things that we get to do as other humans is we get to help identify that in other humans and foster that and cultivate that, Um, particularly in the avenue of, um, as parents, you know, we get to see those things in our kids, try to foster that, try to cultivate that. As teachers, um, whether that's teaching in a school system, teaching in the church, or just teaching uh, in, in Bible study groups, like we get to identify that type of thing in other people and help cultivate that and help foster that, help them to see the ways that God has gifted them and how they can bring glory and honor to him with their uniqueness, all right? So again, God's created Adam in his image, but Adam failed to image him properly. We retain some of that distorted image. We still have these same responsibilities of bearing his image and, and, and making him known, but we just, we get different results now because of our sin, right? We just don't do it as well. Um, we're still called to, to exercise dominion over the earth. We're still called to, to bring him glory and honor, but the results are a bit different because of that sin nature that, that mars us. Um, back when we studied Genesis years ago, we talked about this passage in Genesis about us being created in the image of God and then Adam and Eve sin. We said now we are kind of like the, a, a copy of a copy, right? Those of you who um, have to run copies from time to time, you know that when you take the original, you run a copy, you really like to hang on to the original if you have to make more copies because once you start to make copies from the copy, the image just gets more and more distorted, right? And that's what happens with us. Made in the image of God, right? But because of sin, we're, we're, we're becoming more and more a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and we're, 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 not, as, um, we're not as well as we were designed to be. Um, but God sends Christ as the perfect image bearer to reclaim that lost dominion for us. Um, he comes in, he's fully obedient to the Father. That's, that's what the gospel is, right? The gospel is Jesus coming to fix us, to fix us as image bearers who are broken. Um, God sends Jesus to do that. God promises to restore our full image when Christ comes again. Uh, a couple passages that I want to read to you. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 48 and 49. 
As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So even talking about our resurrection and the hope that we have in this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, that we are going to bear the image of Christ. We are going to be recreated, that, that state of glorification that's to come. 1 John chapter 3 is another passage that um, gives us this hope and encouragement that the best version of us is still to come in the future. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So John talks about how we are God's children now, but what we are to become is still not yet known to us until Jesus comes back uh, one day in the future. Um, So God's made this promise to restore that full image. But then number four, God works toward the end goal by daily conforming us more and more to look like Christ. So Jesus is telling us this this long-term goal is he is bringing creation to where we will look like him. Right? That's the end goal. That's where we're headed as humanity. But until then, there's this daily process where God is renewing us and making us more and more like Christ on a daily basis. And we're going to see that today in Romans chapter 8, 1 Peter chapter 1 specifically. And so our fight against sin daily, our pursuit of sanctification daily, which we know is God's will for our life, right? Um, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and tells them that God's will for their life is their sanctification. Uh, when we fight sin in our life, when we pursue sanctification in our life, we are expressing a desire to return to that, that, um, that imaging, imaging well capacity, that we want to be the, the best versions of us that we can be in making God known, right? And so we wait for Jesus to come back to make that possible, but until then, we fight sin, we pursue holiness, we pursue loving those around us so that we can image him well. A great passage to look at is Colossians chapter 3, Verses 1 through 17, we won't take the time to read that, um, but encourage you to maybe look at that at some point. Um, a great passage that, that, that shows uh, the fruits of, of what it looks like when we pursue sanctification. Okay? Um, I want to give you uh, some closing points to our, our series this week. And um, I do want to preface the fact that as we are still kind of in this intermediate period, um, I'm going to really work hard to um, shorten our teaching time for the sake of those who are going to come. And, and, you know, obviously right now we're not able to offer childcare. We don't have nursery. And so I wouldn't want anybody to feel like they can't come and bring their entire family if they feel safe in doing so for fear that their child's going to be a distraction um, and that they can't sit through a, a typical sermon length here at Sovereign Hope. And so we're going to adjust some things with our service over the coming weeks as we work towards getting back to full capacity, uh, just so people feel like they can come and bring their families. And so um, if you start to see our, our sermons being shorter, don't think that it's because I've decided not to study as much or I'm not as intentional with bringing the word to you. Um, in fact, I'm being intentional to to lessen the amount of teaching time for the sake of those who would come um, that, that need that um, to, to accommodate their family, as, as since we can't accommodate you with the child care right now. So uh, just to give you that, that preface. All right, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. I want to look at two passages of Scripture a little bit more in depth. The last couple of weeks, we've been kind of scattered around looking at different passages and what it means to be made in the image of God. Today, I want us to to look a little bit more closely at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 12, and then we'll also delve a little bit into 1 Peter chapter 1. All right? So give you some application points as we come out of this study. What is it what does it mean to be made in the image of God? How do we allow that to shape our existence moving forward? Okay, if you're taking notes, number one in our notes today is, is it starts with understanding God's end goal for you. Understand God's end goal for you. And we get this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is you know, one of my favorite passages in Scripture because of the hope that it gives us. Um, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, um, and, th- and this is a verse that oftentimes is, separated from its surrounding verses, right? And so um, it really finds its meaning if it's understood in the context of the verses around it, right? So it's very easy to pull out Romans 8, 28 and just hang on to that verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? And and a a fantastic verse, an unbelievable verse, a a promise that we certainly want to, to cling to and hang on to as Christians 
but we have to understand it in context to even know how to quantify what, what he means by saying that God promises to work good, right? All things work together for good, specifically to those who are called according to his purpose, right? These people who are called are people who love God, we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 here. Those who love God, they get the benefit of knowing that all things work together for good uh, according to his purpose, right? And so if we're studying Scripture and we're trying to, to understand what, what Paul is saying here, um, the, the appropriate question to ask would be, what, what is God's purpose then, right? Like if, if God is working everything for the good of his children in alignment with his purpose, then we need to know what his purpose is to better understand what it means by things that are good. And that we find that in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. All things work together for good, specifically in alignment with his purpose. And we see that his purpose for every single Christian he has predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son, right? So, so when God plans out salvation, he plans it with the end in mind, right? Um, a lot of times we, we tell our teachers that we want to have them plan their lessons and their units with the end in mind, right? As a teacher, you could just start studying a subject, start teaching that subject and just kind of going with it. And then eventually you're like, oh, I guess we need to take a test on this, right? Like we've been talking about this topic for a while. It's, ta- it's time to test you now, right? And then the teacher might develop the test. What we really like is for our teachers to think with the end in mind of what do I want my, t- my, my students to know and understand about this topic or this unit? How do I plan to test them and assess them on it? Once you have that end goal in mind of what you want your student to be, what you want your student to know, then you back up and say, okay, how am I going to teach it? How am I going to get them to that end goal, right? God plans salvation that way. God plans salvation in such a way where he says, I'm going to end with humanity being conformed to the image of my son, right? Like that's the end goal of salvation is for us to, to be recreated, renewed, become these new creations, these glorified uh, uh, bodies that, that image him well, right? And so he starts with that end in mind, and then he, then he makes sure that everything prior to that ends with that goal, right? And so he, he ensures that we are called, that we are justified, that we're glorified. Um, he ensures that um, ultimately the gospel reaches us and that the gospel takes root in our hearts and minds and it, and it produces the change that he desires in us. So what, what, what's being said here by Paul is that all things work together for good uh, so that we can be conformed to the image of his son. And that, that radically changes our perspective about what's good for us because we don't allow what's good for living in this earth to be our definition of good. We define what... Uh, what is good for living in the world to come to be our good, right? And so God's saying, I'm going to do everything in this life to work good for you with the end goal of it being a tool that I use to make you like Jesus, to make you like Jesus. For our kids, God's plan is for us to be like Jesus. That, that's where he's bringing us in this salvation process. So in your notes here underneath this, number one, conformity to Christ is the good promised to us. Verse 29 quantifies the good of verse 28. Conformity to Christ is the good promised to us. And so that gives us great hope, especially for those of you who uh, maybe get mired sometimes in personal guilt about your own failures, um, your own inadequacies, right? What's being promised here is that God is going to finish the work that he starts in you, Philippians chapter 1. Um, that he starts it, he finishes it. And so he is going to conform you to the image of Christ. Um, it's the good promise to us. He's going to work that good. Number two, God will stop at nothing to ensure this happens. He'll stop at nothing to ensure that this happens. He's always been working towards this goal. We see this in eternity past where he makes these plans for salvation, where he predestines things to happen. 
He, he ensures that they happen in the present where he works to, uh, to save us by justifying us through the work of Jesus Christ. And then he's also ensuring us that the things that are to come in the future are guaranteed as well. He'll stop at nothing to ensure that this end goal happens, that that's us being conformed to the image of Christ. So we're made in the image of God. We are very God-like, but we said last week what God is really intentional about is taking us from being God-like to being godly, right? That, that every human being is God-like. There are things about us that are very much like God. Even an unbeliever images God. Even an unbeliever images God. The lost person images God, Right? But God wants to, he's not satisfied with us just being God-like. He wants to move us to godly. He wants us to become holy beings. And so he's working to make that happen. It's important that we understand that that's the end goal for us. It allows us to filter everything in our life through this perspective that God has good intent for us, right? But it's not a, a, a good intent that we get to define for ourselves. He's already told us what it is, right? He's taking us to conformity to the image of Christ. Number two. If we understand that end goal, number two, we have to prepare our mind to motivate ourselves towards this goal. We have to prepare our minds to motivate ourselves towards this goal because God calls us to participate in this, right? He, he's gonna do this, but he calls us to come alongside of him and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a role that we get to play um, in this process of us becoming conformed to the image of Christ, but it starts with us preparing our minds properly. And we see this in Romans chapter 12. So in Romans 8, we see that we're to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the end goal for us. But then in Romans chapter 12, Paul cautions us not to be conformed to this world. Your destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ. If that's what you're to be conformed to, then it starts with us not being conformed to this world. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We know what the will of God is, right? The will of God is that we would be conformed to the image of his son, and that's a good plan. And so therefore we cannot be conformed to this world. Instead, our minds have to be transformed. So we have to prepare our minds if we are going to produce actions that image him well. And that's the flow that we're gonna see in Romans chapter 12, is that when we get our minds right, and this is for our kids, we must think right to act right. Once we get our minds right, then the right actions can start to flow from that proper mindset. Number one, to rightly conform to his son, we must unconform to the world. All right, so if we're gonna be conformed to the image of son, we can't be conformed to the wrong thing, and that's to this world. And that's where our sin nature is bent towards. Our sin nature has a tendency to want to be like this world, to morph into this world. And we have to awake from passively letting that happen. Um, if we don't have intentionality to be conformed to the image of his son, to have our minds transformed, our, our passive nature will look like the world. We will, we will very quickly conform to the patterns of this world. And the world would, would have us make decisions differently than how God would have us make decisions, right? The world would have us to make decisions that are based on desire for personal satisfaction, personal pleasure, right? Personal safety, um, personal interests. The, the world would tell us that's how we should make decisions, that we should operate independently of any authority in our life and that we should do the things that would make us happy, that we should do the things that we want to do. The world would have us make decisions that are based on pressure to please others, right? Sometimes we feel pressured to do things because we want to make others happy. And that's how the world operates. It operates in such a way where we would do things independent from God's will. But to rightly conform to his son, number two, we must see everything through the lens of his word. If we're passive, we'll conform to the image of this world. But if we awake to this active mindset and bathe ourselves in his word, then our minds get right and we can move in the direction of being conformed to the image of his son. Christ would have us make decisions based on the motivation to image him well. And just just stop and pause and ask yourself, how often do you think in terms of 
decision-making in your life, will this allow me to image God well? If we're not careful, I think we, we act very much like the world. We, we make decisions that are driving us to do what's good for us, what satisfies us, what pleases us, gives us the, the things that we want. Um, but what we're being called to is to, to live our life in such a way, to make decisions in such a way where we are, we are wanting to image him well. We're wanting to, to um, reflect him well in our, in our daily lives. And we have to prepare our minds uh, prior to us getting the desired results. We're not going to image him well if our minds are conformed to the thinking of this world. Paul tells us here, don't be conformed to this world. It starts by being transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, you see Peter echoes kind of the same mentality about preparing our minds. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter's saying the exact same thing as Paul. He's just saying it in Peter's words versus Paul's words, right? We believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit writes God's word, but he chooses to do it through the personalities of human beings, right? So God is saying the exact same thing through Peter and Paul, but he's saying it through the way that Paul would say things and through the way that Peter would say things. And Peter says the same thing. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded, right? Have your minds transformed. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, think about the end goal of where we're headed as humanity. Where does God wanna take us? He wants to take us to this revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What's Peter saying? He's saying, look, don't act on your sin nature Act on your image of God nature. He's saying, he's saying, look, you need to be imaging God well. You should be like God. You should be holy for he is holy. But your sin nature is trying to draw you back into this mindset of like being uh, passionate about your sinful desires. And, and Peter says, look, don't operate like you're ignorant. You, you were formerly ignorant, like you were blinded. You didn't get it. You didn't understand the gospel. You didn't understand that you were made in the image of God. The world was feeding you this message that you're a human and that your value is tied to your abilities and your gifts and your talents only, and that uh, if you don't possess those things, you may not even have value, right? He's saying, look, your, your former time of ignorance is over. Don't be conformed to living out the passions of those former ignorances. Instead, be holy as he is holy. Verse 17, if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Look at, look at this, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus, the plan of salvation through Jesus is something that God planned before the foundation of the world, right? This whole process of Jesus coming and being our lamb, that's something that God planned. He foreknew this in the past. And Peter's saying, look, don't be conformed to the old things of this world. Instead, be transformed. Prepare your minds for action. Think about the end goal. Think about the revelation of Jesus Christ that is to come. And you're to be shown grace at that time as you're conformed to his image. We prepare our minds to, in order to operate this way. Right action starts with right thinking. We eliminate the ignorance. We're an informed sinner now. We're called to obedience. My hope is tied to grace on glorification day. I put in my notes here, while being in the word does not guarantee sanctification, not being in the word all but guarantees there won't be sanctification, right? Simply sitting down and reading the Bible doesn't guarantee that you're gonna become more like Christ. But you were almost guaranteed to not become more like Christ if you were not regularly putting yourself in front of God's word. You're just not. You're not gonna, you're not gonna accidentally wake up and become holy 
You're not going to wake up and become more like Jesus. It just doesn't happen naturally. It's a supernatural process, and we participate in it by putting ourselves underneath God's word. That's, that, that's here on Sundays. That's throughout the week with the things that we listen to, the things that we read, the ways that we study. We put ourselves under God's word so that our minds can be transformed. Our lives are only changed as much as our minds are renewed. We have to be in the word in order to be changed. And then once we're in the word, we have to resolve to stand firm in it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so Paul again is saying similar things that he says in Romans. He's talking about how God has called these people to be changed, to be different, to be saved so that we can obtain this glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can experience that full change when Jesus comes back. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. All right? He's saying the, the ways that we, we anticipate this coming glorification is that we stand firm in the word today. We allow our minds to be transformed. So understand God's end goal for you. It's to make you like Jesus. And he's gonna do everything in this life to push you in that direction. Not to make you more comfortable, not to satisfy all of your your earthly desires, right? But he is going to work everything for good. And that good is to make you like Jesus. And we have to understand that so that we can then prepare our minds, right? Towards that end goal. And once our minds are being shaped by this end goal, it leads to number three, conforming now by acting in love. The way that we conform to the image of Christ now, today, as we wait for him to come back, is that we act out on a daily basis in love towards other people. We conform now to the image of Christ by acting in love. For kids, we are most like God when we love. That's when we are most like God, when we are showing love to others. All right, so number one here, a mindset on the right things leads to right decision-making. We see that in Romans chapter 12 again. If we can let our minds be transformed by the word and we can, we can set our hope on this future glory, it'll shape our decision-making today. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, if I, if I can embrace this idea that I was made in the image of God, sin distorted that, and God's plan all along has been to fix it, right? Well, now I'm, I'm motivated to move away from sin because when I sin, I am less like God, right? I'm doing a poor job of imaging him well, right? And so I wanna move in the direction of, of imaging him well because I'm understanding that my purpose and my value is all tied to what he says about me. Right? So when I move in that direction, Paul says that when your mind is being renewed, you'll be able to discern what the will of God is. Long-term and short-term, what's good and acceptable and perfect, my discernment will increase so that I choose the things to do that fit into his will for me. And then number two, a life devoted to imaging God well is a life devoted to loving others well. A life devoted to imaging God well is a life devoted to loving others well. So I want us to kind of read through the rest of Romans chapter 12 because I want us to see that what Paul says at the beginning, if you'll stop conforming to this world, stop thinking like the world, stop allowing the, the doctrines of the world to shape your understanding of life, if instead you'll embrace the idea that you have been created in the image of God and God has destined you to be conformed to the image of his son, to fix you, right? Right? You'll let your mind be transformed around that idea. You'll start to make choices and decisions daily that reflect that. And then we'll see the after effects of it here as we look in verse three. And I'm gonna try to summarize these big um, portions of scripture for you. The first summary here would be chapter 12, verses three through eight. I must see myself and others properly. Look what it says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, look, when you start to have the right mindset, you see that you're moving towards this conforming to the image of Christ, it'll give you a proper perspective about yourself and others. He says, don't think too highly of yourself and don't think too lowly of other people around you. He says, look at the the unbelievable gifts and talents and abilities that God has given to every single human being. And when working together, right, in working together, we image him best by using those different giftings and abilities. So he says, think rightly about yourself, think rightly about others, right? That's one of the byproducts of us having our minds transformed around this idea is that we start to see ourselves and others properly, right? Um, Verse 9 And to kind of summarize this next section, verses 9 through 13, uh, we are to be intentional to show tangible love to others, especially when needs arise. Look what he says in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, rarely do we outdo somebody in something unless we get intentional about it, right? Rarely are we going to outdo something. You start throwing something competitive out there and people start having an understanding of how to, to compare each other to each other, man, sometimes people really jump on that. We'll do competitions at, at school. Teachers will get involved in it. All of a sudden, this competitive nature comes out, right? Like, I'm going to outdo you in this. But in order for me to outdo you in this, I have to know that there's even something that I'm trying to outdo you in. Otherwise, it's not measurable, right? And God says, I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. Be intentional about it. Don't be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. You see how there are people that are in need in this passage and God is calling us to love them and to serve them and to show love to them intentionally. Jesus, think about this, when Jesus chose to show his deity here on this earth, he most frequently did that by healing other people, right? He could have shown his, his godlike powers uh, in, a, in, a, in a lot of different ways. But the predominant way that he chose to do that was by taking blind people and letting them see, taking crippled people and letting them walk, taking hungry people and feeding them, right? He, he served other people to show his deity. He showed his power through serving those who were in need. Verse 14 through 21, I must show intentionality versus partiality with those I choose to love. The focus of verses 14 through 21 is on intentionality and moving away from partiality. Because look what it says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul's saying, look, we're, we're to be intentional with our love, but not partial with it, right? He says, be so intentional that you're willing to love those who are your enemies, because they're still made in the image of God, right? Um, John MacArthur says, never are you more like God than when you love, and never more like God when you specifically love your enemies. Man, to think about that, like when we love our enemies, that's one of the best ways that we image God well because that's exactly what he did to us, right? The Bible's very clear that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of him, that's when Christ died for us, right? That's when Christ died for us, when we were enemies. So he showed love to his enemies by dying in their place. He now calls us to do the same. But what does the world tell us to do? Reject our enemies, hate our enemies, seek vengeance against our enemies, <clears throat> 
And that's something that's being perpetrated even by our, our parents as we teach our kids. But I hear this all the time, like this faulty worldview when I talk to parents about what their kids are going through in our middle school, right? And, and it's not always this mindset of love your enemies, pray for your enemies, serve your enemies. Most of the time it's, I've told my kid to retaliate against the enemy, right? I've told my kid to have nothing to do with that enemy, to hate that enemy, to fight that enemy, to push back against that enemy. And that's, that's contrary to what we're called to be because we're called to image God well. And one of the best ways that we image him well is by loving our enemies. We conform now by acting in love. You go back to that First Peter passage. We won't take the time to do it, but First Peter chapter 1 We saw the same flow about preparing our minds for action, putting our hope in the future glory that comes when Jesus comes back. And then you see Peter goes right into that byproduct of when you do this, love starts to flow out of your life too. Love starts to flow out of your life. All right, so understand God's end goal for you is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Prepare your mind now by not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of your mind through his word. When you do that, you'll start to look like Jesus now by acting in love. And then number four, as we wrap up, see the imaging potential in others too. This is where I want to kind of bring it all back together, is that we're, we're, we're called to help others grow to be like Christ, not just ourselves. So all these things that we're talking about apply to you directly, but they apply to all human beings too. As they come to know Jesus, as they come into relationship with Jesus, these things apply to them too. So number one, we must always see the present and potential image-bearing capabilities in those around us. We must always see the present and potential image-bearing capabilities in those around us. And then number two, we must work to foster greater image-bearing capabilities in others. So we want to see in the present, no matter how different no matter how sinful an individual might be, in the present condition of all that sin and difference, they are an image bearer of God. And we want to see them that way. But then we also want to see the potential of what they can become if if, if the Holy Spirit enters into their life and they experience salvation and they experience a good church, and they experience discipleship and teaching and training in God's word, what they are capable of becoming. We talked a little bit in our application group last week about how, um, man, if we were a local church at the time when Paul was persecuting Christians, right, we would have had a hard time loving that individual. We would have had a hard time um, seeing potential in that individual. And yet God radically changes an individual who was anti-church, anti-Christ, right? Gets a hold of his heart, changes him dramatically. And, and now what we predominantly think of, sometimes we have to remind ourselves the guy who wrote Romans was a guy who was killing Christians not too long before that, right? Because I mean, God just radically changed him and redefined him, right? Recreates this image where he had become so marred, so distorted, was so self-focused, God changed it and makes him a a much better image bearer, right, through the Holy Spirit indwelling him and through this sanctification process where Paul comes to know Jesus and he starts to look a lot like Jesus in the ways that he loves and serves those around him. We want to have that type of perspective with people that we see. It's like a a coach um, of a sport who who has an athlete maybe step on on his uh, court or his field who who just possesses like raw athletic ability, right? Kid may have never played football before, never thrown a baseball before, never kicked a soccer ball before, but you just kind of see them moving. And, and if you're a good coach, you look at that and you say, I can do something with that. I can turn that, I can turn that kid into something special because there's some, there's some raw ability there that if it's fostered and cultivated, that can become something special, right? It's like an artist who gets a blank canvas right? There's nothing there, but there's something burned in their mind, right? Like a landscape that they saw, a sunset that they saw. They get that blank canvas and they're like, I can do something with this. I can, I can impress upon this and, and make this blank canvas something special. It's like a carpenter who gets a piece of wood that, that in and of itself is just a scrap piece of wood, 
but that carpenter has the ability to take it and manipulate it and change it into something that's useful. That, that wood has potential, it just has to be cultivated. Those of you that have been in my backyard, you know that I, I took some time to build a, um, a playset back there, but it's made out of trees that were already there, right? And I'd really uh, determined that I was going to cut these trees down. I just didn't think they were useful. I was cleaning out our backyard, trying to create more play space for my kids. And so I was going to cut these trees out. And then I was staring at them and I said, you know what? I feel like I, feel like I could do something with these trees. And my mind began to race and I began to, to plan in my mind a way to create a, a um, climbing wall and a slide and, and a rope ladder and all this using these trees, right? Some of you have cleaned out your backyard before and you can see sometimes where trees are pulled down by like vines. And I have this in my, and I love, I love this for some reason. I love setting trees free from vines. Like I just, I feel like I'm, I'm pushing back against sin because I know that these things are there because of sin. And like when you cut a vine and you rip it free and you see this tree that's like bent down and gnarled and you see it kind of raise up and it becomes like the tree that it's meant to be. Right? Like that's the picture that I get when, when we get to come alongside of each other and exhort each other and encourage each other in the word where, where sin is being weeded out of our life and we become more like what we were created to be and that's image bearers of God. As that sin gets stripped out of our life, we go from like it, what, what looks like a dying dead tree that's useful for nothing. All of a sudden you start ripping away some of that sin and it starts to become what it was really meant to be right? And that's the perspective that I want to have about people that I come in contact with from the, from the most distorted perspective, because there's, there's sin that that individual is so mired in that I would still be able to see that as an image bearer of God, they possess value and there's potential there because what I am is only by the grace of God, right? And, and if that same grace is applied to that individual, man, the sky's the limit in what God can do in and through them, right? So a couple of goals that I want to leave you with, and then we're going to jump into some application group stuff. Goals that I have from this study. Number one, I want to, after three weeks of studying this for myself, for you, I want to remain mindful of my value and my purpose as an image bearer of God by seeking to act like him in all that I do, right? I don't want to try to be like Jesus because of the, you know, the fad that was there in the late 90s about what would Jesus do and bracelets were everywhere, right? Like, I want to instead have this mindset that I want to do what Jesus would do because this is what I was created to do. I was created to bear God's image and to image him well. I want to recognize that I have value in my creation. I have purpose in my creation, and I want to embrace both and act like him in all that I do. Number two, I want every person I encounter to feel valued, to experience love, and to better understand their potential to image God well. Like I want, I want, to, I want to embrace that as part of my mission, is that every person that I encounter, I want that person to leave my presence feeling like I gave them the value that they deserve, that I expressed love to that individual, and that I helped them uh, understand better the potential that they have as an image bearer of God. Now, obviously, the level of experience of those things is going to vary based on the time that we spend together, right? But we've talked in our application group the last couple of weeks how you can come through a drive-through and have very little interaction with somebody who's running the register or giving you your food, but there are intentional things that you can do to communicate value to that worker, just in the things that you say, just in the fact that you might say something, Right? So every single person that we come in contact with can feel valued, can feel loved, and can potentially see a better understanding of their potential to image God well, obviously on different levels based on how much time they spend with us. But if we, have this, if we approach every day with this mindset, whoever I come in contact with today, I want to make sure they feel valued, loved, and understand that they have potential as an image bearer of God, then I think we are doing well in being conforming to image of Christ. All right? We're going to close with um, application groups again. Let me grab our questions. And one of the reasons that we're doing this right now, normally we would do our discussion groups on the front end. 
um, is again, this is another way for us to kind of shorten our service down for those that might be in the building that might have young kids. This allows you a, uh, an, an opportunity to be dismissed if you need to be. If your kid's just kind of done, you feel like you're, you're, you're done, and, and, and now's an appropriate time to end today's service for yourself, this allows you to kind of do that. And so it's one of, one of the reasons we made this change for right now. Eventually, we'll probably go back to discussion groups at the beginning, but um, it's another way for us to kind of shorten some things down, okay? So, by way of application questions, and then we're going to break up into our groups and do this. Question number one, what are some differences in how the world would say every person has value and should be loved versus how the gospel calls us to show value and love to every person? Because what we're talking about, the fact that humans have value and should be loved that's a message that the world will embrace too on some levels, but the gospel calls us to do it differently, I believe. So let's talk about some of the differences in how the world might say that humans have value and should be loved versus how the gospel would tell us to do that. Because the gospel tells us to do things sometimes that don't feel very loving, right? So, so what are some differences maybe in how we would approach this topic? Number two, what are some specific ways you can seek to be conformed to the image of Christ this week? And then number three, in what ways have you been challenged by this study and what are some action steps you plan to take in response? These are kind of my action steps or the things that I'm making my goal coming out of this study. Yours might look a little bit different than that. So what are some differences in how the world would say every person has value and should be loved versus how the gospel calls us to show value and love to every person? What are some specific ways you can seek to be conformed to the image of Christ this week? And then in what ways have you been challenged and in what some action steps you want to take in response as we move forward? God, we love you and thank you for our time to be in your word this morning. We thank you for the time of discussion. And God, I pray that you would continue to challenge us to, um, to see uh, those around us in the image of God. God, help us to, to faithfully value people because of that, to love people. Um, God, help us to see that you are moving us to this end goal of being conformed to the image of Christ, that you want us to image you better than we're capable of doing right now because of sin. Um, but God, help us to see that we can fight sin daily so that we can image you better as we wait for you to come back. Um, So God, give us wisdom in knowing how to do that in the coming weeks. Help us to encounter people in such a way where they feel valued and loved, um, and they also get a glimpse of what they can become by your grace. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.